Well, good morning. morning. It's been a while. Um, if you're if you're new here this morning, my name is Monty Waldron. I'm the other teaching pastor. You've probably heard about me. At least that's the news on the streets. Uh, but I have been on a three month sabbatical and uh, just got back and re engaging with uh, the team here and everything that's going on and. Uh, it's been awesome. So I'm going to be sharing a little bit about my experience this summer, some, some takeaways for me. But before I do that, I really want to say, I actually want to say thank you. Um, I, you know, I don't know how many pastors get to do stuff like that, but it, it's one thing to get to go do it. It's another thing to really feel a sense that, I mean, I just had countless people encouraging me, praying for me. Uh, I just felt this sense of, yes, we want you to do this. We're, we're for you in that and can't wait to hear uh, what God does with it when you come back. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, very grateful for our leadership, our elder team and our staff team. Um, when you pull a, a, a member of the team, just pull them out for three months, obviously that's going to leave some gaps. And uh, both of those leadership teams really stepped in and went above and beyond in some ways to kind of keep everything moving along. And then I especially want to thank Jeff. Um, this church operates with two um, teaching pastors that serve together, like we're co-leaders. And when you pull one of us out, the other guy has got to step up. And Jeff did that. He didn't call me one time. How about that? Yes. <laughs> No, I, 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 he wanted to, he said, um, I know Jeff really wanted for me to get everything out of this time that I could. And, uh, I look forward to doing the same thing for you, uh, maybe in a couple of years. So, <laughs> and then, uh, and I want to say thanks, uh, to my wife, um, just, I know that her heart is just was so awesome after 19 years she was so excited for me. She was praying for me. She was a place that I could process stuff. And, and then I'm traveling all around the world and coming home every once in a while. And she's like, hey, have a nice restful day. I'm going to go to work. <laughs> so uh, she, was, uh, she was just truly awesome. It was an incredible, incredible experience. I'm looking forward to telling you about it. A um, couple of things that I just want to take care of right out of, the, out of the gates. I know there's a little stress around your outline. There not being anything there. Just take a deep breath, you know, like maybe we're all on sabbatical today. We're just, just, if you want to write something there, write it down. If you want to draw a picture, feel free. It's, it's yours. Uh, but yeah, no outline today. Um, and then secondly, I did go to Scotland. And if you know me, I enjoy the game of golf. And so I have had a lot of people going, well, did you get to play? I mean, it's the birthplace of golf. And so I want you to know I got to play. It's a little different over there. You know, we have like bunkers and out of bounds and the rough. Well, in Scotland, you've got another obstacle. I just want you to check this out. I, I don't know what you do with that. Like just try not to hit the lamb or guarding the pin. And the grass is kind of long for a green. But that's a Scottish golf right there. It was... A blast. Well, let me, uh, let me tell you, 
about my three months away. This was a sabbatical, which is tied to the word Sabbath, which means to rest, to uh, cease striving or be still. In fact, I think the greatest phrase we could ever use to think about that idea is in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. There's a lot there in that little bitty phrase. But uh, the first part is you gotta stop. You gotta slow down, you gotta step out of what you just do day in and day out, kind of the normal flow of things. So you gotta stop that so that you can be open to who God is and what he's like. And it seems like you can't get one without the other. So what I did for these last three months, I I actually prayed at the beginning of my time. I just said, Lord, whatever it is that you need to show me, I'm open. I want to be really receptive to whatever it is you might reveal in this time of ceasing, of being still. I got a great illustration about Sabbath or sabbatical. Maybe Sabbath is a better thing of just this regular kind of recurring stillness that we're all encouraged to practice. Um, when I went to the UK, um, I, they drive on the wrong side of the road. They say it's the left side of the road, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, so I rent a car there, which is kind of exciting. You're not only on the wrong side of the road, you're on the wrong side of the car. So everything's uh, different. But They know that about American drivers and probably many others around the world. So they give you this little wristband right here. And guess what it says on it? Keep left. That's pretty handy. You know, I mean, think about it. I drive on the right side of the road all the time and I don't even think about it. It's as natural as breathing. That's what's familiar to me. But I go over there and I'm telling you 10 and two and I am paying attention. I'm focused. It's intense. And this little thing right here reminded me a time or two when I was tempted to get over on the right side of the road. Keep left. So, so helpful. I think a Sabbath is kind of like that. Because all of us, like we know how to live in a, in a self-reliant way, in an independent way, like in that right lane. And what the Lord is saying, I want you to take a Sabbath and stay in your lane so that I can stay in mine, so I can be God in your life. So that Sabbath, it's like I look down and I go, oh yeah, keep left. Keep track of where you are on the road. There's a, a, a better way to drive. I had three words that stood out to me when I thought about Sabbath. Um, hopefully they're easy to remember, three R's, rest remember and remain. Rest, remember, and remain. First of all, we rest from our work. Whatever it is that we do day in and day out, whatever striving that we have in our life, there's nothing wrong with that, but we're supposed to rest from that. Now, I don't rest, and I learned this because I got lots of physical rest during my sabbatical, but we don't rest because we're tired. We rest because we're broken and in need of mending. And the only way that you can get that kind of mending is by ceasing from all of your normal activity and embracing something different. Uh, My brokenness means that I like to be in control, that I like to run my own life, 
that I like to satisfy my appetites whenever and wherever and however I want to do that. Really, I want to be God. So when I cease striving and acting like I'm God of my own life, I become open to his movement, his activity, the change that he wants to do. Um, I often cope with my brokenness with busyness. Read a great statement by Mark Buchanan in a book called uh, Your God is Too Safe. He says this, the heart is the place the busy life exacts its steepest toll. So um, I'm, a, I'm not a driven guy, but it was amazing as I got away and I got away from my normal uh, schedule and activities and all that, I started to think about things that I didn't even realize I wasn't thinking about. Like who I am, how I'm made, how I'm wired, the, my story and, and how that informs what I bring to the body of Christ and the mission of God. It's like, it's easy to forget those things when you're just consumed with the day-to-day. So we rest from our work and then we remember who God is and who we are. And uh, th- both of those are very important. And then lastly, we remain. And really, there's a progression there. We rest so that we can remember, and we remember so that we can remain faithful to God. There's actually a great template for that in the Psalms. If you read through there, a lot of times the psalmist will start in this place of unrest, and they'll slow down and pay attention to God. They'll remember who he is and who they are, and then many of those Psalms resolve at the end with praise to God. They remain faithful to their creator. So that's a great pattern that uh, was very obvious to me while I was away, and I want to continue to practice that going forward. Practically speaking, I got to uh, spend a week at uh, a writing retreat with Mark Buchanan in Canada, and then I spent about three weeks or so in the UK. Most of that was in Scotland, and I'm going to tell you more about all of this. Um, And then I spent about a month in Colorado, various places there. And then I spent a few days up in Indiana just a couple of weeks ago with some friends, uh, some ministry friends up there before coming home and getting back to work. So here's some things that stood out to me as I was traveling about. The first one has to do with creation, with creation. I call it the ministry of mountains. Does does anybody enjoy the ministry of mountains in here? Oh yeah. Theologians will call it general revelation, but I I think ministry of mountains is better. Um, Yeah, I got to go to some amazing, breathtaking places. Here's a couple of pictures. Um, This is uh, Neist Point. Uh, on the outskirts of Scotland. This is the Quarang and the old man of Stor. I felt like I got dropped into the Lord of the Rings. You know, it's just, it seemed otherworldly. That's the Gore Range and Big Park in uh, Eagle Valley, Colorado. And, uh, and this is just a lock in the middle of Scotland. I don't even know where that is, but I just took a picture of it and uh, loved it. Here's what I know about creation. And, and this has been true of my life at other points, but I can forget it. Creation is intended to awaken, inform, and encourage our faith in a good, creative, and powerful God. 
That is part of why, it's not the only reason, but that's part of why God made what he did, how he made it. And he invites us to observe it and find him in it, to learn from it, like how good he is, how powerful he is, and how creative he is. Paul writes in Romans 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them, speaking of humanity, because God has shown it to them. How did he do that? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So here's the implication, I think, for us. We can become so fixated on stuff that we make We can forget about all the stuff that surrounds us that God made. For instance, when you're standing at the feet of mountains like I just showed you, it's it's overwhelming. When you're standing on the shore of the ocean and you see how vast it is, it's overwhelming. When you lay down in the dead of night and look up at the sky and you see all the little stars and all of that, you just kind of go, wow, God is really big. And I am really small. And isn't it astounding that he even gives me a second thought? But he does. David writes in Psalm 8, When I look at your heavens, he says to God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? All the grandeur of that is to say, if he can do all that, he can take care of you. And he loves to do it. He loves to think of us and take care of us. Not only that, after creating, go, take, go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Remember, after he made everything, he invited that first couple to join with him as co-laborers, as creators and cultivators. I just read a great article this week by our own Kevin Perry. Ask him about it. It is fantastic around work and uh, being creative, artistic stuff. It, It was terrific. But in that, he gets at this idea of God inviting us to co labor with him, and he quotes Andy Krauts. Listen to this. This is beautiful. God has provided the raw material. The garden, the animals themselves, and Adam's very breath. But now the creator graciously steps back just enough to allow humankind to begin to discover what it means to be a creator. Adam, like his maker, will be both gardener and poet. Both creator and cultivator. The creator simply watches and listens and it is good. I ran across this guy in, uh, on the slide there when I was at that place, the Quirang, and uh, it struck me. I, like, I had to take a picture of this guy because there's just a bunch of people walking around, hiking around, gawking at the landscape, and, and then here's this guy, and he's just like in his own world. He's an artist, and he is focused on a part of this amazing landscape, and he's He's putting it on, uh, on this, the thing he's painting there. 
Canvas, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I was searching for the word. And uh, I just thought, I want to be like that guy. I, I want to kind of know who I am and where I am. And I want to notice what God is doing around me. And then I want to use whatever gifting I have to put it on the canvas, to contribute. And so I've been thinking some about that, but then I thought about you. And I thought every single person in this room has been invited by God to create, to cultivate, to co-labor with him in his redemptive activity. And wouldn't it be great if all of us, like that painter, could kind of find our thing and then do it with all of our heart. I think God would use that in profound ways to bring honor to himself, but also to extend his mission. So those are some thoughts that struck me as it relates to creation. Another thing that I thought a lot about and experienced some of was community. We talk a lot about that around here. We say together is better, and I experienced the truth of that by the absence of community and then the presence of it various places around the world. Let me take you through a few of them. Um, I told you I went to that writing retreat. This is the campus of Barnabas Family Ministry. This is in uh, British Columbia, just off the coast from Vancouver. And uh, it's just so interesting. Ten authors show up at this place. We're complete strangers. Nobody knows anybody. And uh, we're an eccentric, kind of heavily diverse sort of group. I, I kind of got the sense when we got there, we wouldn't just kind of hang out together naturally, but we all get thrown together into this retreat. And uh, it was a little awkward at first because, again, we have no history at all together, but we, we all are writers of, of various kinds. And so Mark did this in, in, interesting thing. Every night, he would give us writing exercises throughout the day. And then every night we would read to each other. Now, if you've ever written something and read it to somebody else, that can be a little awkward and uncomfortable. Because I'm thinking as I'm reading, I wonder if you'll like this. I wonder if you'll understand what I'm saying. I wonder how you'll respond if I share something transparent from my story in my writing. But it was amazing. That group just moved together. And a community was formed and we began to really appreciate this creative activity that God was doing in each of us and through each of us. It's like the start of a community of complete strangers. It was beautiful, and the, the power of story is a unifier. It's something that we all have in common, a story. And as we share that with each other, we pull together. Well, from Canada, Kimberly and I flew over to Scotland to... Uh, a little place called Loch Monzeverd. Um, three months out of the year, this is a young life camp. They call it Cairn Bray. And uh, it's just a quaint little place, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So Kimberly and I were exhausted but needed to stay awake. So we went on a little stroll around this loch. And uh, when we got back to our cabin, I sat down and I just kind of went through Facebook real quick just to kind of see what was happening in the world. You can do that on a sabbatical. It's totally okay. Um, anyway, one of the first posts that came up was by a good friend of mine named Nate Larson. Nate Larson. Nate Larkin, thank you. 
gosh, my brain is kind of freaking out this morning. Yeah. Um, Nate Larkin, he started a ministry years ago called the Samson Society. It's a recovery uh, ministry. It's a place where broken guys, regardless of their issues, can all get together, sit in a circle, and be an encouragement to one another as they grow and change. Well, I heard Nate's story and read his book, Samson and the Pirate Monks, years ago, and I decided to start a group right here in Murfreesboro. So me and some guys, every week we'd get together and we kind of go through this conversation about what God was doing in our areas of struggle and need. Well, I talked to Nate and he was like, dude, pastors don't normally do that, uh, but I'm glad that you're doing it. And we struck up a friendship. It's been a huge blessing to me over the years. But anyway, so I see Nate's post on Facebook and he says, I'm playing disc golf at one of the oldest disc golf courses in all of Scotland. It's at this place called Cairn Bray. He's just a few hundred yards from me. So I texted him immediately. I'm like, Nate, what are you doing in Scotland? And he tells me all that. And I'm like, we're, we're here. We're, I'd just love to see you, give you a hug, give you a high five, something. And he said, better yet. Come down in the morning. We have our last session of our first International Samson Society retreat. Come down and join us in the morning. So I did. And here's what I learned. I didn't know a single guy in the room except for Nate and another guy that he works with named Aaron. I walked in the room, complete strangers, and all Nate said was, Hey, guys, he's one of us. And it was like I was home. I mean, we sat down and got down to business and we talked about the goodness and the grace of God and where it's hard for us to trust him for tough things, but how he is at work and how we want him to be at work. It was just like, man, this is what community is supposed to feel like. But isn't it hard to be real? Isn't it hard to be transparent, to be authentic, to say, I'm struggling? And as I was sitting in that room, here's what I thought. Wouldn't it be great if you could walk into your community group and it feel like that? And the deal is, you can help it become that by opening up your chest and saying, this is the real me. I'm not trying to put on a show. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I am, uh, as the Samson brothers say, a restored son of the sovereign king and in need of mending. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift. Nate Larkin says this, we need to bring our pirate and our monk into our community of faith. That's a great picture. So I got a picture of diversity, and then I got a picture of authenticity, and then I went into a little season of solitude. And speaking of monks, I am not one. Like, I've not been called to the monastic life. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, but I ended up in this little place called Carnoustie in Scotland. And uh, here's my lovely Airbnb right there. It was a little cuter online. <laughs> but it, you know what? It's a camper parked in a backyard with a deck attached to the outside of it. Uh, Monica and Dean, they were my hosts. Wonderful, sweet, sweet Scottish people. Um, but, you know, I got there and I thought, 
I'm kind of in between. I, I had just come from the highlands of Scotland and then saw some dear friends down in London. And then I knew that Grant, my youngest son, was joining me in a few days, but I was just by myself in Carnoustie and just thinking about that. I, I actually wrote some stuff about it. I thought I'd read to you as I sat in that camper right there. Um, I'm in between. Kimberly returned to the U.S. on the 9th, and I returned to Scotland for another round. Grant will join me in two days, and we'll embark on a great father-son adventure. Currently, I'm staying in a camper parked in Monica and Dean's flowerful backyard. A small deck with railing and chairs is nestled to the side of the caravan as a makeshift porch. It's all well-equipped. Monica and Dean are wonderful hosts. The intention is to promote a sense of retreat to a garden-like oasis. But the family clothesline strewn about just off the deck visually intrudes. <laughs> Rooftops and power lines crowd and lay siege on all sides, obscuring any view of far-off horizons. The sound of cars whizzing in every direction is near constant, periodically drowned out by the horn and hiss of a passing transit train whose rails lie just a bit more than a block away. I'm truly not complaining. I'm struck by the attempt at peaceful solitude amid the distracting sights and sounds of the world's activity. I have much of what I truly need, but lack plenty of what I desire in terms of setting. Few places could compare to the beauty and grandeur I've witnessed recently in Scotland's highlands. I'm in between, waiting to return to those places with my son. I want to wait well. Grateful for the good of this place. The comfy caravan, colorful foliage, songs of birds and kind hospitality. Those are all precious glimpses of a day that will take our breath away. A day when all will be made right and new. Come Lord Jesus. You know, I, I think we all live in between, don't we? And uh, sometimes it's hard to wait. And solitude is a good place to be, as I said earlier, to recognize who God is and who we are and how we need Him and invite His work. But we weren't made for solitude. We were made for community, and I, I got just enough of that <laughs> to say I, I, I want to get back connected with people that God has used to change my life. I, I did have the gift of interacting with um, some men that have been longtime friends. Here's some pictures. Um, the guy in the top left is Michael Hunter. He is on in uh, London. And then Brian Funkhauser, he was one of my college roommates and teammates. Um, he's in Denver working for Crew. Eric Petrick, he and I... Uh, work together at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he, has, uh, he does work up in Colorado. And then Mark Kroll is a, a, a dear friend of mine who's a pastor up in Indiana. And you know what? As I interacted with each of those guys and had some time with them, the familiarity was sweet. But what I realized as I thought about each of those men and the relationships that we have Man, it took a lot of work. We have been at it for over 20 years, even 30 with uh, Brian. And we've had some ups and some downs. 
And relationships, just like a great marriage, take a lot of work. But what I know about those men is that they are as committed to our friendship as I am. And I know that if I called them today and I said, hey man, I need you to be here, they would get on a plane or a car or something and they'd make their way here. That's the kind of relationship that we have in community with one another. And uh, I just heard this week, I think Jeff mentioned this to me, that loneliness is at an epidemic level in our culture. And so as I enjoyed these relationships, honestly, I thought of you and I thought, man, I hope that you have some friends of 10, 20, 30 years that God has used to change your life. And if you don't, I pray and hope that you'll get it, that you'll go after it. And it, it starts kind of like that group at the writer's retreat where you just, you kind of, it's awkward and you get to know each other. It, it's how it began with every one of those guys. But now some of my dearest friends, one other guy I'll show you. This guy's name is Darius McGlory. We've known each other since second grade. So there's probably nobody that knows the best and the worst of me like that guy. <laughs> I tell you what, man, I talked to him just yesterday, and uh, he is one of the greatest encouragements in my life, and I want to be one of the greatest encouragements in his. Um, he's a dad, a brand-new dad of two. I'm a granddad, so I don't know what he's doing. We're the same age, but... <laughs> But man, it's so fun to hear him talk about God's work in his life for us to walk in this journey together. And he feels like he's getting a second chance. Uh, it's a sweet, sweet thing. Speaking of family, let me mention that. I, I got to hang out with uh, all of them. There they are. And uh, we had a week together in Colorado. And um, actually, Phil Herndon uh, introduced me to the idea of intimacy into me see that that's something that we have to work at we have to cultivate it takes great intentionality and when I thought about our family I thought you know I want to do some fun stuff together and make some memories but more than anything I want to connect like never before so we asked each of the kids to lead a devotional time uh, three of them are married, and our youngest is engaged. So there's Danielle right there. So uh, it was so fun, because the only requirement I gave them was you just have to talk about what God is doing in your life right now. I, I'm all excited about what happened 20 years ago, but I want to hear what God is doing in you right now. And we sat for hours, sometimes crying, sometimes laughing, but just talking about the activity of God. And it was like into me see and it was just a beautiful time of connection and my takeaway from it was and I'll say to the guys and I recognize families are different and there's brokenness and all kinds of stuff but men my family is counting on me to initiate that kind of stuff they're waiting and they're willing to follow and it feels risky I promise you <laughs> There's been plenty of times when I've initiated stuff and it's been a huge flop. But they're waiting on me to say, you know what? Come on, guys. Let's huddle up here and let's get real. Let's connect and let's continue to grow as a family. It now re it's represented by five families because four of those kids didn't grow up in our home. 
So we're learning to become whatever it is God wants us to become today. It was an absolute blast. Well, let me finish with this. The last thing, so uh, creation, community, and then uh, steadfastness, perseverance. Um, it was so funny as I was making my way around different places and I, had, I was kind of my own travel agent and I, I kind of found myself honestly getting frustrated on several occasions and I'm like, hey, I'm on sabbatical. You're not supposed to get frustrated on your sabbatical, right? But here's the deal. The difficulty of everything exposed my craving for comfort. I wanted it to be easy. I wanted everywhere I went to just be uh, like a ride down the, the lazy river, you know, just enjoying my time. But we live in a broken, sin-wrecked world, right? And, and we're called by God to just stay at it, to be faithful, to persevere through whatever difficulties we have, big or small. And uh, I went back to uh, my story, how it began. Actually, this is the place where I came to Christ. This is Frontier Ranch in Colorado. Got to bring all of my family with me. And I laid down on that hill right there. And I looked up at the stars like I told you about a few minutes ago. And I asked God to save me, to forgive me, and to change my life. And it hasn't been an easy ride. But it's been a good ride. 37 years and uh, good days and bad days, but worth it every step of the way. And, uh, but having said all that, I can lose heart like anybody. In fact, you know, we did Evensong a couple weeks ago, and I think I've said there that I, one of the things I wrote as I went to the cross, we had all those confessions on there, I wrote down faint-heartedness. It, that it's easy to lose heart in the midst of the difficulties of life. Here's what Peter says in 2 Peter 1. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot there, but that word steadfastness just jumped off. And then in all these places that I went and the people that I saw and the relationships that I remembered, all of it spoke to me of this idea of perseverance, this steadfastness. And uh, complacency is an easy thing, isn't it? Isn't it easy just to kind of coast? But we're called to, to press in. This was most impressive to me when I came across this guy uh, out of Scotland. His name's Columba, St. Columba. He is the guy who reached all of Scotland with the gospel. Prior to him going there, there was next to no evidence at all of Christianity in that country. And prior to that, Ireland was the same way prior to St. Patrick going there. Well, I walked and hiked and, and cruised around Scotland and I saw the terrain and felt the weather. It was 
harsh and unforgiving and I could just get in my nice little car or go to my little Airbnb or whatever and I just thought this man Columba spent 34 years walking this country end to end bringing the gospel to that nation he planted churches all over the place in the span of 30 years and it's literally one of the greatest spiritual um, revivals in all of human history and it was because that guy just stayed at it he just persevered he just kept pushing I think by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit but he just kept at it the interesting thing about the Celtic church is that about 150 years after that huge revival, it next to disappeared. And you know why? Because the institutional church came in and basically got rid of the life that was in it. And it became all about rules and restrictions and procedures and liturgies and all, like all this formality. And they forgot about the Holy Spirit and the life of God among his people. So it was a great reminder to me of how easy it is to be complacent and how intentional I must be if I'm going to walk the walk of faith. Um, I'll finish with this. Um, I thought about, practically speaking, I love what's predictable because predictable feels safe. And uh, it seems like as I read the Gospels that Jesus called his people to go for the impossible. I love this picture of my youngest son as we were exploring Scotland. So on the, yeah, so he is sitting of that cliff right there. And my first instinct as a dad was, get back. (laughs) But you don't get that view unless you go sit on that rock. I want to live like that. I want to trust God with big things and uh, allow him to do his work. Let me ask you uh, to just think for a few moments. I, I've shared a lot of stories and some scripture and some just some thoughts to consider. What is it that God might want you to do in response to uh, all that I've shared? Maybe it's related to Sabbath and maybe adjusting your routine. Maybe it's being more attentive to creation and what it reveals to you about God and yourself. Maybe it's related to community and your interaction with that, whether you have it or not. Maybe it has something to do with steadfastness, with perseverance, with staying. Whatever it is, invite God to show that to you and guide you in a response. All right? Thanks, you guys.